Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. I'm Brian Zerman, Senior Director of Client Content Strategy with Becker's Hospital Review. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Yiding Yu, Chief Medical Officer at Olive. Dr. Yu, thank you for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Brian. Excellent. So let's start off. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, Dr. Yu, and, and, and share some more info about Olive as well and, and what you do at Olive? I have the pleasure of being a practicing physician as well as EVP and Chief Medical Officer at Olive. I actually spent most of my career in innovation from leading innovation at large multi-billion dollar health systems to scaling AI companies in more recent years. And today, now at Olive, we are a healthcare automation company creating the internet of healthcare for both providers and payers. We support over 900 hospitals and payers today with our automation technology. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Yu, for, for setting the stage there. And you have an interesting perspective on healthcare and how, every, how technology especially is influencing healthcare. So since you've seen hospitals from sort of the clinician's viewpoint, and now you have this technologist perspective, what do you think are some of the overlooked factors that are contributing to hospital struggles right now? It's such a unique time, you know, and what's fascinating is that we actually just asked this question of other healthcare executives. We released our Internet of Healthcare report, which anyone is welcome to read. You can go to our website, oliveai.com, that really delves into this exact question, what is at the top of mind and, and contributing to struggles in healthcare? You know, healthcare is one of the industries grappling with a great resignation right now. Of course, top of mind is driven by the pandemic burnout, but we've also known for decades that our workforce was aging and we have a shortage of new healthcare professionals entering into the workforce. You know, data from 2017, um, at that time, 43% of all U.S. physicians were 55 or older. So clearly in the baby boomer generation. And then when the pandemic hit, that pushed many of these baby boomers to leave the workforce early. And so we are seeing an unprecedented loss of healthcare workers at the same time that healthcare is evolving. And so when we surveyed healthcare executives, we found that manual administrative burden was really the top struggle um, that they identify. 91% of the healthcare professionals we surveyed agree that fixing the burden of time-intensive manual administrative processes is the number one most important thing they can do to improve the quality of patient care, which is why we all came into healthcare in the first place. And 64% of them agree that there will never be enough staff to handle the volume of patient and member data at their organization. So it's amazing to say that, to see that they identify administrative burden and yet the vast majority, nearly two-thirds of hospital executives are saying there's just not enough people to do this. So something else has got to give, something else has to be the solution to solve it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to your point, right, I, I think when I started covering healthcare or, or reading and writing about it a lot, maybe you know, five plus years ago, you know, there was a lot of talk about the aging workforce and, and workforce shortages and things like that and the hard stuff that was ahead. And it feels like we're living through, the industry's living through that now. It's, it's come to fruition and to your point, there needs to be a, a different solution. There's not going to be enough people. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, I remember when I was, I was chief innovation engineer at a very large health system here in, in Boston, and we were looking at our own, you know, clinical workforce and their, the aging of it. And it was just astounding. We knew it was going to be an issue. And you, know, you have a once in a generation crisis like this, 
that's pushing us. And so we're facing it now. But the beauty sometimes or the silver lining of when you're faced with a crisis, sometimes it spurs us to look for novel solutions. It spurs us to do finally something different, finally to challenge the status quo. And I think that's a lot of where healthcare leaders or healthcare is moving. They, they realize you can't bank on after the pandemic, it's just going to go back to the way it was, as if these baby boomers are going to come back, as if you're just going to go back to the way business was usual before the pandemic. I think healthcare is going to be fundamentally different afterwards. And we do have a new normal. And the new normal is that you can't keep on hiring people to do manual tasks you've got to leverage technology to get that efficiency, to leverage your administrative spend, because it's these administrative processes that are really burdening um, your ability to deliver patient care. Yeah, let's zero in then on the administrative processes here. You know, administrative staff are are certainly undervalued, definitely a vital part of hospitals' day-to-day operations. Can you talk more about how they've specifically been impacted by the pandemic? Absolutely. You know, we see this both in the survey we conducted as well as anecdotally when I'm you know, talking with um, my colleagues in healthcare, but also among our, our customers. And um, number one, there's been a lot of staff turnover. And, and part of that is that a lot of our administrative staff in healthcare are women. And so when um, schools and daycare uh, and childcare were truly limited, you saw, especially during the peak of the pandemic, a massive drop in the workforce of folks who just could not continue because childcare is so expensive. And when they lost it, um, I had kiddos at home. Um, it was often the women who took the change in careers. I think some of that is reviving. I think luckily we're heading a little back to normal, but that was a real challenge. And for many of these women, they're still not back into the workforce. So I think the gender dynamics of the administrative team, clerical workers in healthcare really uh, was a driver to that. And then on top of that, maybe confounding together, is that when we surveyed administrative staff, 50% of them reported seeing an increase in the amount of data entry in the past year. And so the amount of administrative burden has only increased. And I would also emphasize it's not just the administrative, these really important folks in our healthcare systems who are seeing the brunt of this, it's also the clinicians and the clinical staff. I mean, as a physician, if I think about how much time I spend in front of and with a patient on patient care versus the amount of time that I'm on a phone uh, trying to page somebody, trying to document an EMR, just filling out questionnaires. I mean, 92% of clinicians we surveyed agree that too much time is spent on administrative tasks, and that is a major contributor to healthcare worker burnout too. So it's not just administrative work doesn't affect just administrative staff, it affects all of us. And that downstream means that with burnout and with turnover, it has a consequence um, to actually running a successful hospital. So at the C-level, we surveyed our C-level healthcare executives, nearly half of them, that's 49%, said that they fear that employee turnover will be the most likely consequence of their organization not automating in the next one or two years. So they're kind of seeing the signposts, uh, the warning signs right now. And I think it becomes very pressing that if you don't do something about it, people are just going to leave. And whether they leave for a competitor or whether they leave healthcare um, or clinical work, um, they're going to leave. And that's going to leave all of us in a really tough position. Thank you for laying that out to you. I think it's, you know, it sounds like a ripple effect, really. Uh, the, the way the administrative staff is sort of 
been affected by the pandemic is just you you shared how that affects clinicians and, and the ripple effects get all the way to the C-suite and their priorities. I think that's fascinating and, and, and a little worrisome, right? But, you know, I want to circle back to something you mentioned at the top of our conversation today where, you know, Olive believes in creating the Internet of Healthcare, right? And this is a way out of this situation. So I'm going to ask you just kind of bluntly, what is the Internet of Healthcare? <laughs> it's a great question, Brian. We see the Internet of Healthcare as the platform that enables an ecosystem of companies to connect healthcare's disjointed systems, automating tedious tasks to free up humans to work at the top of their license, and really provide powerful intelligence and insights that improve the quality of care. And I can say all that, and that still sounds very vague, um, but I think you know, when we look at concretely what passes as interoperability in healthcare today has been the work of the last couple of decades, frankly. It's been slow, it's been tedious, it is time consuming, it takes a lot of work. Um, and it's important framework and groundwork that all those transactions provided, but we really fundamentally need to think outside the box and sometimes blowing up the box altogether. You know, frankly, the current processes and, and interoperability just hasn't caught up with the demands of healthcare today. We're evolving faster than the interoperability standards are. And, um, you know, just a, a perfect example of that, most pairs today, they don't support EDI 278 transactions for prior authorization. So, providers have been desperate for electronic prior authorizations for years. So they've been asking for this, but payers really haven't been able to catch up. And so instead of saying, well, too bad, I guess there's nothing we can do. All of the approach to this was let's solve prior authorization for all payers, regardless of the technology available at the payer, and leverage our universal platform. And the best way I can say as an anecdotal example of this in our daily lives, right, to say, like, what does this mean? You know, how you can actually accomplish this? This is too high tech. I think about where the internet was in the early 2000s right, compared to like the internet we browse today on our smartphones and our computers. I remember in the 2000s, sometimes when I would go to a website and I had to play videos, sometimes the website would tell me, oh, you have to download a special codex or a video player. Or the website would say they use Adobe Flash or JavaScript and you had to like download it before proceeding. Like I had to do work to go and watch that video or download that piece on the website. So that's like what we do today. (laughs) right right like you we had to do work to get to the content Um, I mean it's nothing like EMR integration but we still had to do work I mean can you remember the last time we had to do that today to play a video like I don't remember the last time I did that and it's not because the internet has gotten less complex it's not suddenly because like we're all on the same system that's not true at all it's just that our browsers are platforms that have so much embedded power. They have so much technology that they can handle the complexity of all of that without human intervention. That your Chrome browser or your Firefox browser, they can handle it and it just works. So that's what we imagine when we think about unleashing the internet of healthcare is that today what we're doing doesn't just work and tomorrow it should just work. A perfect way to put it. I think also your example <laughs> going through old browsers is also just a really helpful way to illustrate it. Like I can easily picture what that's like. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to I want to get here to the patient side of this, right? So, how do you think technology can really 
shape the patient care experience for the better? You know, what does the Internet of Healthcare do for the patient experience? Uh, I love this question because as a physician, this is, you know, why I came into, um, why I wanted to be a doctor and, and why I care so much about technology because it's only using science and technology can we really advance, right? Unleash the power. And, and there's so much potential for, from both a quality of care perspective, but also access to care and ease of care for our patients. So I'm among the 40% of clinicians who believe that AI will decrease the risk of incorrect patient diagnosis. We're seeing early applications of this in radiology and pathology, where pattern recognition of pictures on a screen for the diagnosis of serious diseases like cancer is key. And um, there's so many amazing companies that are doing that and uh, working through, through that process. And I think that's going to be a game changer in, in future years. But even before clinical impact, because anything that's clinical is requires FDA approval and, of course, a lot of clinical trials, we're seeing concrete evidence of how automation and creating an internet of healthcare would improve the patient experience. Going back to my example about prior authorizations, when we've been able to automate prior authorizations for our hospitals, we've been able to accelerate patient care by eight days on average. It's reduced insurance denials for care. So not only as a patient is your care more likely to be covered and paid for by your insurance company, but you are also able to schedule that care eight days faster. You think about what that means for a patient who's anxious for that MRI or for their surgery or to start cancer treatment. I mean, that's game-changing for them to be able to get care faster and easier. And so you know, when we looked at this, we asked um, healthcare professionals about automation, 93% of them actually said that they believe that applying automation technologies to remedy these administrative processes will be good for their careers, because it's a no-brainer that if you fix this major problem, you're going to be seen as a problem solver. You're going to be changing healthcare um, to, uh, for the better, because if you use technology to solve long wait times, the costs of administrative care, the impossible claims and reimbursement processes that we have today, you'll be changing and be part of the change in healthcare at your hospital or health plan. Thank you so much, Dr. Yu. And you really just shared there a lot about what technology advancements might mean for patients. But I'm going to ask you to keep your crystal ball out. And I want to ask, you know, where do you think AI-led advancements will really have the biggest impacts in the years to come? I really hope that we can push this forward. I mean, I think that we can do so much first on the low-hanging fruit. The you know, as we talked about extensively, all these administrative tasks. And, and I actually think when we looked at our survey, nearly eight in ten executives actually believe that healthcare will soon lead other industries in innovation. So there's surprising optimism um, among my colleagues about this. It's so it's funny that we, we also survey patients and patients were a little bit more skeptical. Only 25% of them believe that healthcare will become a leader in innovation. So we've got we've got our work cut out for us to convince patients that we can innovate at the speed of Amazon or Apple. So we've got work to do. But where most of my colleagues, um, healthcare executives are predicting where AI will make the most impact. Externally, it's an automation of data entry. So removing the need for humans to just manually enter stuff and key in things, it's a true waste of our human potential. Improving the access to medical records for patients 
so that instead of feeling locked into a health system, they can access their medical records from anywhere. I think that's going to be unlocked in the next couple of years. And, you know, this is not going to surprise anyone, but virtual visits and remote monitoring is going to be the norm. I think you know, for all the three things I listed, when we surveyed our healthcare executives in the Internet of Healthcare report, 50 to 60% of them all said or identified one of these three things as where they saw the highest potential. It's no, kind of no surprise, right, that when we're seeing where healthcare leaders are investing, that tends to be where they're investing, right? Administrative uh, work, uh, access to medical documentation or, or opening care records, and then certainly remote visits, telemedicine is huge. So I think there's a lot of optimism that this is uh, will get done. There's also willpower to make it happen. And I'm proud of the optimists. I, I really hope that, th- that we're going to be able to change it so that we aren't considered the laggard in innovation, that we are the leaders of innovation. Yeah, here's to healthcare becoming leaders in innovation. Thank you so much, <laughs> Dr. Yu. It's been a great, great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for having me. Absolutely. I'd also like to thank Olive for sponsoring this episode. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalview.com.